If you're not already familiar with Cornell Watson, by the end of today's interview, you're going to want to be. He's relatively new to photography, having started his business less than two years ago, but he's already making huge waves, not just with his stunning family photos, but also with his message, which he shares candidly. And it was that message that recently landed Cornell a solo museum exhibition, something very few photographers ever get, no matter how long they've been around. So today I'm talking to him about how that show came about, the concept that he came up with for the show, and the execution of that concept, and whether or not you've ever been interested in having your own work featured in a gallery, you're not going to want to miss this. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Cornell, I am so, so excited to have you on This Can't Be That Hard. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to have you. I'm only sad that we are having this conversation via Zoom when we're probably not a whole lot more than like three miles apart as the crow flies. So crazy. Such is life these days. Yeah, I'm I just by way of a little introduction for the listeners here, Cornell and I live more or less in the same town. We kind of live on two sides of the same town. And first met, was it two or three years ago when you came to the family narrative for the first time? So it was two years ago. And actually I look back through our text messages and if you scroll all the way up to the top, you'll see when we first met at Coco Cinnamon or what's the name of the coffee shop? Yeah. Yeah. Which was almost like two years to like this date right now. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to have to go scroll through my text messages. Um, Man, a lot happens in two years. A lot happens in two years. Oh gosh. So back to the backstory. I, Cornell is a wonderful human being and someone who I've gotten to know through photography and through the family narrative over the past couple of years. And at that time, you were really like brand spanking new, sort of just starting to say like, I think I want to, you know, pursue family photography more formally. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, you should come to our conference. It'll be great. And then you did and the rest is history. And, and I look at where you were then and where you are now. And it just, it like... <laughs> It gives me so much happiness to to watch people succeed this way. You have just like taken no prisoners as you have gone um, <laughs> through the various stages and you've got some really exciting things. So this a uh, couple, I guess a couple of months ago, you announced that you were going to have a solo show at one of the local art museums, which is the Durham Arts Council coming up this fall, God willing, that we can actually go to a museum. <laughs> And so, and immediately I was like, perfect. I can't wait to talk to you about this because that, I think, you know, having a show at a museum is something that a lot of photographers in the sort of commercial photography. And when I say commercial, I mean, like I sell portraits as a commodity, you know, that's not something that many of us even pursue much less achieve. And it's such a huge thing to get. And a lot of people have to be around for a long, long time before they get to check that box. So, so I'm super excited for you. And I wanted to have this conversation so that 
I get to hear and our listeners get to hear all about sort of how that came to be and, and a little bit more about the project and the, the work that you're going to be displaying. So, so yeah, tell me a little bit about the backstory there. Yeah, so the, the backstory is the relationship with Durham Arts Council actually formed a year ago when Durham was having their 150th anniversary. And they had an open call for art for the 150th anniversary exhibit that they were going to do. And it was all focused on like people of Durham. And at first I was like, oh, like I'm so new. I shouldn't, like, I'm probably not going to submit anything. But then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm not, it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. So I submitted three images and they emailed me back and they were like, we'd like to have these like featured in the exhibition. I was like, oh my God, like this kind of thing. And yeah, so it, those three images were, most of them were images that I had made right when I had first started getting into photography, which was kind of crazy because at the time, like I didn't know much about family photography and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go do some street photography stuff. And I didn't really know much about street photography. So one day, I was riding my bike out in hot Durham and I was just riding around. It's so hot right now. It's so hot. And I was just riding around on my bike, taking snapping photos of stuff that I saw in Durham. And yeah, so the timing was perfect for the, for that particular exhibition. The photos had great reception. And shortly after that, about six months after that, they invited me back to help be a judge for a grant that they were doing for new artists, which was crazy because I was like, well, I'm a new artist, you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> you slide your work I in there and you're like, well, this one's really good. <laughs> like I could actually use a grant to help out with whatever I'm trying to do. But yeah, it was so cool because I got an opportunity to meet, you know, some of the people that are involved at Durham Arts Council and some of the other photographers that are nearby that are also involved in, in the arts side of things here in Durham. And then this April, um, my phone vibrated. I looked and there was an email from Durham Arts Council and they were asking if I would be interested in doing a solo exhibition. And I was like, I was losing my shit on me. I was like, oh my God, like, this is so crazy. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way I'm going to say no to this. You know, it's just like, I just have to just like jump full, just all the way into this and do this. And so I was like, yes, I'd be interested. And I had no idea of like, you know, like what I was going to do. Like, did I already have existing work? Like everything was just so new. And I had a conversation with one of the people at Durham Arts Council and um, they were like, you know, you don't have to come up with a theme or concept right now, but let us know in the coming week. And this was in April. So this was like right when COVID, you know, was just like really right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, it was grinding us down. And other things that was kind of happening in the backdrop was I was working a full-time job. So I'm in corporate America and I, I'm just like, I'm so, I was so fed up at, at that point with just kind of like having to be this different person at work and then coming home and being a totally different person. And I really thought about it and actually what kind of sparked the, the whole thought process around behind the mask was at the family narrative. I'm not going to name any names because she probably don't want me to say her name, but 
We had a, <laughs> there was a conversation with someone at the family narrative right towards the end. We were chilling out in the lobby in the lounge. And this person asked me if they, they asked permission to ask me a question. And I said, yeah, shoot, sure, go for it. And they were like, how do you feel being the only male at the, at the family narrative? And how do you feel being the only black male at the family narrative? And I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know, like, it's such a inclusive environment. I never thought anything else of it, right? And then that person dug deeper and they were asking, well, they were like, well, do you feel like you have to conform like a certain way or be a different person to exist in and be yourself in this environment? And I didn't know the answer because I had, co I like code switching is such uh just a natural part of my life that like I don't know when it's happening and when it's not happening because it's just a survival skill and so that was kind of what sparked you know like me thinking about this project and I wanted it to be something where I didn't have to code switch and that was kind of like my commitment to myself was that that this art or whatever I present it has to be whatever it is that I that I want to do and so I thought about the, the poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar called We Wear the Mask. And then I started thinking about like how we're actually all wearing masks right now. Like there's like, you know, there's so much between the two. Like there's some similarities between the two that we are all, we are all wearing masks. Some of us are wearing masks because all of us aren't. Obviously, all of us aren't wearing masks right now, else we wouldn't be in this situation. But, um, <laughs> you know what? For a, a beautiful moment, I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, most of us are wearing a physical mask right now when we go out. And the reason that we are wearing that mask is to protect others. And we're essentially we're trying to protect humanity in a sense right and that was really the 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 point of Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem about black people wearing this mask this smile this this kind of show that they put on they're basically doing that to not only protect themselves but they were protecting a whole entire generation of black people so it was much bigger than self protection in the in the poem and kind of like Paul Lawrence Dunbar's perspective so that's how I came up with this with the concept for the art exhibition so I titled it behind the mask because I wanted to show what black families and what black people were feeling when we're in white spaces and we don't get to say what we want to say or express how we want to feel, whether it's, you know, joy, emotions of joy, or whether it's emotions of frustration. So that was kind of like really the point of, of this exhibition. And yeah, I, I didn't want it. I did. I didn't want to hold back on it. Like I, it had to be like true raw feelings of what people felt. So that was this concept and the stories. So the, what I started to do was I, I reached out to a bunch of friends and my network on Facebook to see who would be interested in being photographed. And a lot of the stories 
and things that are in these photos are personal. Like they were personal to me. Like some of the themes were things that I was personally feeling like during, like, especially recently with a lot of like with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and some of those things, and then having to go to work and kind of put on this fake smile. And a lot of these feelings were personal to me, but some of these photos are feelings and emotions and emotions that are personal to the people that I photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's a little bit around that. And the other thing that I decided to do with this show was to tie it in to a cause that I was passionate about. So I reached out to Village of Wisdom. Village of Wisdom is they're a nonprofit organization that focuses on really educational inequity and inequality. And the way they go about doing that is they help build out profiles for students to address the gap between the school systems and the resources that they have and where it is that 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 student is at and then just kind of bridging the, the, the gap. So there's a lot of different things that they do in that space. I personally, I have not personally benefited from Village of Wisdom, but I benefited from a similar organization called the Algebra Project when I was growing up in high school and in, in, middle, in middle school. And so I understand firsthand of why those particular organizations are important because I mean, we, we could have a whole conversation about just like how, how horrible the school system is where where redlining is still in place and you have predominantly black schools and predominantly white schools and the under-resourcing of, of those black schools are like they are... Yeah, the only way to put it is it's just cruel, you know, and when you really think about like what black students have to go through to get close to having an education, like it is honestly, it's just cruel. So that's how all this kind of tied in, tied in together with Village of Wisdom, the art show and and giving back all of the proceeds from the art sales back to the Village of Wisdom. So, and you did a Kickstarter, it was a Kickstarter, um, GoFundMe to get Mm -hmm. funding to, for the um, actual project itself. And then you exceeded that goal. And so all of those proceeds are also going to Village of Wisdom. Is that right? Yeah. So all those proceeds are going to Village of Wisdom. I think as of today, we have raised about um, $6,000 total. The total cost for the show was $3,000. I actually reached out to a local company called Through the Lens mm-hmm. and asked if they would donate the printing, and they did. So about 4000 of the money right now is going to Village of Wisdom. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. There's so much here. Number one, I just want to sort of circle back to what you were saying at the very beginning about... Um, <laughs> <laughs> diving in right against your like putting your fear aside of like I'm new what business do I have submitting these but this is like way back when you were just putting those three photos in from your street you know street photos that you were making and submitting that and I just want to underline how how important that is and how it's I think that that kind of courage if that's what we want to call it is really it's a muscle right it can it's it sometimes feels painful to exercise it, 
<laughs> but the more we do, the stronger it gets. And, and especially, and, and you don't always get immediate, like amazing returns either. Yeah. You did, which is awesome and unsurprising, but the, but I do think that being, it's just one of those things where it's so easy to look around at other people and be like, well, of course they got that for this, that, or the other reason, but that's not me. And I, I just applaud you for like diving in and going for it. And it's, I, <laughs> once upon a time in high school, I played basketball and I, our coach was all about like, you can't, you know, you can't make the shots you don't take. And I, <laughs> probably the only thing that I have taken with me from my basketball days, but I do think that there is something to that. So that's, Amazing. And then I really want to get into more of the stories of these photo shoots that you've done this summer, which I have gotten bits and pieces of from you. And then from, of course, your, uh, what you've been sharing on Instagram, but they sound incredible. But I definitely will be linking both the Paul Lawrence Dunbar poem and the Village of Wisdom stuff for people in the show notes. So I just wanted to stick that in there. But let's get back to your, your shoots. So remind me how many photos total you're putting in the show? Yep. So 10, 10 images total for the show. And, and so you put out your, the word to your network on social media or whatever, and said, I'm looking for models. What was that process like? How did you decide on the stories you wanted to tell? Hang on guys. I have a quick message for you. Did you know that this can't be that hard? Isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join The Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to The Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com slash club to sign up. Yeah, so what I did was I, I created a page on my website and I explained about what, what this art exhibition was about. And then there was, there was a questionnaire, a small, short questionnaire at the bottom where I asked if they could fill out some information. And a lot of that information was geared around diversity because what I wanted to make sure happened with this exhibition was that the, the diversity of Blackness was front and center. So I didn't want it to be, you know, the typical heteronormative, you know, family structure of mom, dad, like, I'll, because that's not, you know, that's not the true essence of black, of the black family, right? There's so many ways that black families, you know, look, and so many ethnic groups and nationalities. And I mean, it's just, it's just really the diaspora is just like huge and, and wide. So I had those questions in there to make sure that diversity was front and center of, of the exhibition. And I initially, it wasn't, I, I didn't get a flood of people like saying like, hey, like pick me, like I want to be, you know, <laughs> I want to be photographed. So I actually had to, I had to reach out to some friends and start asking around because, you know, the more I thought about it, it was you know, I was, I was trying to think from the perspective of people that don't look like me, 
And, and I thought about like, you know what, like I would in, you know, if, if I was, yeah, I am in a, in a, in an oppressed group and a marginalized group. But for instance, if I am a black trans woman, I honestly do not probably want to put myself out front and center because I have no idea of, you know, what this, you know, black male, cisgender black male intentions are considering, you know, what the stats are right now for black trans women. So I did, I reached through my network to, to see if my friends knew of people that would be interested in being photographed. And so that was kind of the process that I went through to, to start finding families. And some of the stories, like some of the families already knew who I wanted to photograph for the story, because some of these, some of these photographs were inspired by stories that I actually heard. So for instance, I don't know if you want to like, go ahead and get into this, but like one, like one of the stories was revolving around a really close friend of mine. It was his birthday. And we were at the, we were in the kitchen and we were pouring drinks and I asked him, was like, Hey, like, how do you feel like turning another year older? Like he's turning 42. And, and like, I, I don't think that I was, ex- I was not expecting like what his answer was. Like I was just expecting like, yeah, you know, like my knees are getting more achy, right, right. You know, that kind of thing. But his response was more around the lines of like, you know, like I really been really been thinking about like everything that's happening lately. Like, and this was like after Breonna Taylor, this was after George Floyd, this was after Ma Aubrey. So there were like some really big stories that had happened. And he looked through the backyard and he was like, man, this really just means like I'm one more year closer to having to have to have this conversation with my boys about like, why they can't play out in the front yard with toy guns or, you know, why they have to, you know, act a certain way around certain people. So like, it was like, like, I don't think I actually processed that conversation until like after I got home and I was like, holy shit, like, this is like, this is so crazy. Like, like, these are the, like, these are the thoughts that we have around what is supposed to be a celebration of life, but instead there's all this anxiety around life and, you know, am I going to be around to see my boys grow up kind of thing, you know, and, you know, will they have to deal with all the same institutions of racism that I had to deal with, you know? So like, there are all these like real thoughts that are happening. So as like, we're talking about things like it, like it sounded like, like the way he described it was he felt like he was drowning. And so we created this image where he, it, it basically looked, the image looks like there is a, like a body that has like washed up on the shore of, of the lake from drowning. And his boys are standing there just looking at the body and he's laying on top an American flag. And it is just like, there is like the photo looks like it it's weird to say this but the photo looks beautiful because it's like it's so much truth in the photo like it's hard to explain but but it's also very sad like it like it will absolutely make you cry because like all you can think about is like wow like this is this is real life and we we did the photo we did the photo on the 4th of July which was like kind of was kind of empowering in a way to because you know like 
there there's a lot of because we have not because because we as Americans have not reckoned with like the history of this country and a lot of the narratives are very one-sided there are a lot of black people that like that don't celebrate the 4th of July because we yeah. weren't free on that day right. um, and so on that day you know like we it was just like a lot of reflection and just kind of a lot of you know disappointment and so to say, you know what, we're going to go out to the lake, we're going to drag this big old flag out there, we're going to lay it on the ground, and then we're going to create this image it was pretty crazy because the lake was crowded. We were the only black people out at this lake. And the crazy part about like creating the image and, and all of these images in general is the experience of being black while creating these images. So like, for instance, with this one in particular, like we had, we were approached three times of the course of being out there by three different white people that were just kind of like trying to assess like the threat level of like what was going on. So the first group like walked up and they were like, you know, Hey, like, what is like, what are y'all doing? Like, what is this supposed to mean kind of thing? And I didn't answer any questions. Like my wife was there and my friend's wife was there as well. And they were just kind of, you know, like helping to like guard off. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They were trying to like help guard off like all, like all the stuff that was like potentially going to happen. And then another group of white women walked up and their response was like, Oh my God, like this looks so beautiful. Like they were, they were talking about the flag cause the, the sun had just like peeked through the clouds a little bit. And so it was like all this light just like shining down on the flag. And they were like, Oh my God, this like the imagery is so beautiful. Like, w- like what is this for? You know, we're going to do our part to make sure that, you know, like we fight racism. Like, you know, it was like, it was like a very positive encounter. But then the last encounter was from, there was this couple, older white couple, that they were paddling in like a canoe right along the shore where we were at. And I could hear the wife yelling over to the husband. She was like, honey, look, honey, look, look at, look at the flag. And then she said, that's just not right, you know, kind of thing. And then she just like paddled off. And afterwards, like, I was just, like, reflecting on, like, all of that. And I was like, that, like, this was, like, that last encounter couldn't have been more perfect because, like, it was exactly about, like, what we're describing through some of these photos, which is, you know, like, she only saw the, she only saw the flag. And that was her only concern was that this symbol was somehow being disrespected. And she totally missed that there was, a, she totally missed that there's this black drowning body, you know. Human being. Human being right. just on top of the flag, you know. So yeah, so all, like, all of these images are like very just thought-provoking and, and they all touch on like what we, either myself or what they were feeling at some point over their lifespan or over the past couple of months of kind of what's going on. So that sounds incredible. I'm, um, I'm just like, can I hit the fast forward button? I want to see all 10, were they all this sort of choreographed in terms of, it sounds like with that one, you really went into it with an end. 
Yeah. And were they all that level? Because I know that your family work is, you know, much more sort of spontaneous, more lifestyle stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. All like most of my family photography work is very lifestyle candid. These images are very different because all of them, like we, I went into it knowing exactly the photo that I wanted to create with the exception of one, which I wanted one that was more street photography in a sense. So there is one image that it's like street photography style and I did direct them just a little bit only because like I asked permission if I could take their photo and then I got them like right into the light the way that I needed them to be. But what I did was I, I went back to my hometown in Northeastern North Carolina and I spent like a solid week there and it's hard to do street photography like back in the country, like back in rural the rural parts of, <laughs> of North Carolina, because, you know, houses are so far apart and yeah, you really just have to, like it, it felt like at one point, like I had almost given up on getting anything street photography related back home because like no one was out on the streets. Like most of the, the business down anyway, you know, especially with COVID, right. nothing was going on. But what happened was I was photographing one of the photos that I planned out. There's a 90-year-old black man back home that he went to the same school that my grandparents went to, which at the time was what they call like one of the schools for the Negroes. So it was a segregated school. And this was like in the 50s. So he graduated in, I think, 1956. And he did not get to go to his graduation because he had to go fight in the Korean War. And then he fought in the Korean War and uh, in the Army. And then he moved to another branch of the military. And then he served in the Navy. And then he served in the National Guard. And then he came. And now he's back at home, 90 years old. And he's a volunteer firefighter. Wow. Which is like insane. But so like full life of service. A full life of service yeah. um, through the backdrop of Jim Crow and every other, you know, era of oppression that we've had since he's been alive. And really the photo, uh, the photo with him was all about like living life, like without bootstraps, like he's had this incredible life. And there were no bootstraps for him to pull himself up by. So we created these images of him in these places that were significant to him with no shoes on. So wow. just really symbolize him like not having boots through life. And so as we were creating one of the images, that's when these group of kids were like coming around the cut where we were at right by the, the school, which is not even there anymore. And I basically just like stopped what we were doing. I was like, hold on guys. Like I really need to like pause for a second. Cause I need to go and talk to them and like create the shot of them coming around the cut, which was on the street that I grew up on. And was the same little cut that me and my brother would used to go through to take a shortcut to go up to the library and go down to the main street. So yeah, it, it the, the photo, that street, that street photo was just really just, this is hard to explain, but it, for me, it was, the essence of just kind of being black in like the rural South and the fact that, that when we walk around with 
without our shirt on or, you know, our pants are sagging or whatever the case may be, that we're not criminals and that we're actually humans, you know? And yeah, it was just, it was just a moment of just, I don't know, being human, you know? Wow. But yeah, but most of these, all the photos with the exception of that one were thought out photos with symbolism and just kind of everything thought out to the T. Yeah. That's, Um, it's really incredible. I, I feel like I would, I'm just impressed with like the short turnaround of, you know, you were presented with the option to, you know, to take on this project. You didn't even have a thought process formulated. And then to go from inspiration to execution on something so planned in such a short period of time blows me away and seeing the outtakes that you're putting out sort of intimates the quality of what we're <laughs> and I've never I don't think I think this is my first podcast interview where I've gotten chills a whole bunch of times so <laughs> I am truly excited but I you know and I think that that's one of the things about your work and your it's your art first and foremost but then also you know in social media and in in person as well, ability to convey honest truth and feelings, whether they're funny and you are a genuinely funny person, but also like you talk about hard things, the hard aspects of parenthood, parenting a toddler, the beautiful aspects of like your relationship with your wife, or, you know, the beauty of like a, a, day with with a great shoot you know you have that excitement and passion for the work that you do and then your frustrations and all of those things in both your photos and your words just comes through so honestly and i talk a lot on this show about how important trust is when it comes to someone hiring you and like you have to build trust and you have to but i don't talk perhaps enough about what it means to trust other people with your feelings in that kind of a public space. And I think part of the reason that I probably don't talk about that as much is that I do exist in this position of privilege. Like people are like, oh, okay, you can have your say about these things. And it is such a powerful reminder, this you know concept of being behind a mask and having to, I think to a certain degree, we all wear certain kinds of masks and things like that but the you know talking about code switching and being a different person in a different space just so that people don't react in whatever way they're going to react it god it just hits me like to my core and i haven't even seen the photos yet so i can't (laughs) i can't wait i'm really i'm just so excited and i'm so like blown away by the thought process that's gone into this in such a period. I was reading somewhere recently or saw somewhere recently this concept of like, whenever you see somebody who seems to just come out of nowhere and be like, all of a sudden they're like a superstar in whatever their field. And, you know, the other people in that field look and they're like, where'd that guy come from? Or where'd that girl come from? Or, you know, how did that happen? They just came out of nowhere. And the fact of the matter is you're not coming out of nowhere. You're coming out of a lifetime of experience and you've built that photo project out of a lifetime of stories clanging around in your head. I just love the fact that you have this, that you, you, you know, we're given this opportunity. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I asked um because <laughs> at one point I didn't I didn't I didn't know like how far these images would go. And I, I asked uh Dorm Arts Council, I was like, like, is there anything that like I can't show, you know, kind of thing? And they were like, you know, like just remember like there might be kids that are in there. So like no like none of the photos are um yeah I I can't say that they are all like you know like kid appropriate, you know, like but at some point like these are conversations that like we'll have to have with kids and these are conversations that black people already have to have with their kids so it's like you know like for for black people yeah these photos are kid appropriate because most of them have already had this conversation in some shape form of way or way so yeah um yeah i'm yeah i'm super excited about the the photos and and I was and I was so like at one point I was so like <laughs> my anxiety was through the roof because like there would be like some days of like oh my god like am I gonna actually be able to finish these photos you know in time before the deadline and I have them submitted and written up you know but it happened because a lot of it too was my anxiety was around COVID too and it was like you know like if I so happen to test positive for COVID, then that's an automatic 14 days that I can't do anything, you know, related to the project. So yeah, I was masked up everywhere, literally masked up. (laughs) (laughs) These photos were taken behind a literal mask. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my God. Well, I am going to be sharing some of the outtakes from your work because this is going to be airing prior to the show itself. But I know that anyone who's listening to this who doesn't already follow you and is not already familiar with your work is going to want to know where they can find you. Can you tell us that? Yes. So my website is cornellwatson.com. It is Cornell like the university, C-R-N-E-L-L. And my last name is Watson, W-T-S-O-N. My Instagram handle is cornwizzle. That is C-O-R-N-W-H-I-Z-Z-L-E. Um, I had an old colleague who used to call me Cornwizzle, you know, after Snoop Dogg was doing the whole gizzles <laughs> and whistles and for shizzles. So, uh, yeah, and it just kind of stuck. And yeah. my wife calls me Corn. Like, everybody just kind of calls me Corn now. So, yeah. So that's how the whole Instagram Cornwizzle thing came to be. Awesome. I was wondering. <laughs> well, yeah. Everybody go follow Cornell, check out his incredible work, and keep an eye out for for this show, which is coming on September 11th in Durham. And then, of course, will be shared via the interwebs with the world. So super, super great to chat with you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And I... I'm so excited to be like, when you're off having shows with the Met in the future, I'll be like, once upon a time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. This is so awesome. All right, good. I will talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads, at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.